Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy podcast. I'm your host, Simran Katari. In today's episode, we'll be diving, oh, I mean, surfing into the world of digital diplomacy. And in order to do so, we have a very special guest with us, Mr. David Eichert a doctoral candidate at the London School of Economics who published in the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. Our discussion today is centered around his piece titled Hashtagging Justice, Digital Diplomacy and the International Criminal Court on Twitter. So, to jump right into it, what is digital diplomacy, David? Uh, well, first off, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule um, to talk. And it was great to publish with the Hague Journal of Diplomacy and had a really good experience there. Um, to answer your question, so digital diplomacy, uh, which is the subject of my paper, is um, a, a literature and academic literature that focuses on how political actors use digital technology uh, as a form of soft power to achieve their political goals. Um, so a lot of this is focused on how states or other actors use the internet to influence public opinion um, and targeting elite and non-elite audiences. And so it's a process of of using the internet to define or redefine how others perceive perceive them. So it's kind of a brand management um, and using you know, digital marketing campaigns, uh, building long-term relationships between the actors and their publics, um, or you know, presenting flattering information that paints paints you and your political cause in, in a good light. Um, a lot of the literature has focused, um, like I said, on states, um, especially you know the kind of foundational documents about digital diplomacy. And so this paper, in part, is an effort to look outside states at how the ICC, an international court, international organization, uses digital diplomacy to further their own goals. I believe that gives our listeners a basic understanding, perhaps a definition of what digital diplomacy is. But before we further delve into your research, could you tell us a bit more about what made you interested in this topic? Yeah, so good question. So I'm a I'm a PhD student right now. I'm my my main dissertation, my main research focuses on international courts um, and looking at how discourses around sexual violence are kind of used by international legal actors. So I, I have this background and interest in the ICC and other courts. Um, I also, before my PhD, I did a, a short summer job at the Harvard uh, Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society which is a center at Harvard that focuses on internet and society and looks at, at things from, from political science or sociological backgrounds. Um, and so it was there, I, I met a researcher who was studying digital diplomacy who talked to me about the topic. So it was kind of in the back of my head when I was going into my PhD, um, even though my PhD isn't specifically focused on, on digital diplomacy. Um, and then in 2020, this thing called the COVID-19 pandemic happened and um, everything shut down and all of my, uh, you know, especially at the beginning, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do any of the fieldwork I wanted, any of the ethnographic work I wanted to do for my dissertation. And I was stuck in a one-room apartment in London, um, kind of very bored. Um, and so I was spending a lot of time on Twitter. And um, one of the things I, I was doing is, is reading a lot of tweets about international justice and, and seeing these ICC tweets coming from the court um, and and having them not 
really reflect what some of the other courts were doing or what you would what I was kind of would have expected to come out of the court. Um, and so what I did is I uh, decided to do this project. I, I downloaded all of the tweets from the International Criminal Court's Twitter, main English Twitter account uh, for a year. So starting in March 2019 and then ending in February 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, and I coded them using a conventional content analysis methodology. Uh, so that was a process of inductively creating codes that that responded to what I was seeing in the in all of the tweets for this entire year. So every time I would come across a tweet that didn't fit into one of my categories, I would create a new code. Um, and in the end, I had 11 categories of tweets and three overarching narratives I talk about in the in the article. Um, but also the exercise allowed me to observe how the ICC you know, tweets, how it presents itself, how it interacts with its various audiences. Because you know, in a tweet, there's more than just the words. There's also images or video. There are responses from other people. Um, the court will retweet people, so there's a, an element of, of, of agency and choice that goes into who is being retweeted uh, or what the court chooses not to respond to. Um, so there's a lot of that, of thinking about this year in the ICC very broadly and using the tweets as a way of, 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 of looking at that. <laughs> I have quite vivid memories of early lockdown, and it seems we both were engaged in some form of research. Mine, of course, was centered around my master's thesis. I must admit, though, I did find some not-so-mentally taxing ways of overcoming my boredom. <laughs> I recall watching Tiger King and the Michael Jordan documentary, I think it was called Last Dance, and being like, oh wow, I've learned so many random facts that I will definitely not use in my life. Uh, anyhow, to get back into what we were talking about, you mentioned 11 categories that you used for coding. Could you briefly tell our listeners a bit more about a few of the interesting categories that you came across? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm not. I won't talk about all of them because you can just read the paper. But um, I, so I, I did the I, um, several hundred, I think a thousand tweets, um, and uh, the 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 thing I was expecting to find. Um, were what I categorized as regular court updates. And so that's you know, the everyday update of the ICC. Yeah, Monday, 7th of June, we're had, there's a, this case is having a preliminary hearing with, with evidence, and you can watch it on the live stream, that kind of stuff. Or you know, the, the ruling has come out, or evidence submission deadlines, that, that sort of, 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 of content. And if you look at other courts, like the International Court of Justice, that's also on Twitter, those kind of updates are are upwards of ninety percent of what the that of the the ICJ tweets about. By comparison, I found for the ICC, uh, it was only about seventeen percent of the Twitter output was focused on what you would kind of expect to come from from courts about court things, um, and a huge amount of the tweets was public facing, diplomatic phrasing, um, and so I, I I divide that into ten other categories, but. Um, you know, a huge big category were, were staff activities. So you had the prosecutor or judges giving speeches, attending major conferences, uh, very personalized. Um, you also had diplomatic handshaking photo ops. Um, those were usually accompanied by the hashtag, hashtag building support. Um, and so many, many tweets um, showing, you know, the prosecutor or, or judges um, you know, shaking hands with different diplomats. Uh, and those two categories together were about 40% of the tweets. So a huge amount of, of 
diplomatic framing um, uh, and, and imaging there. Um, also, a couple other categories that are interesting. Uh, about 6% of tweets uh, focus on member state support. And so those were, you know, um, states expressing positive opinions about the ICC. And so, you know, the, the court would retweet when Poland says a really nice thing about the ICC, the court would retweet these. Um, or a new state, you know, Kiribati joined, um, you know, became a state's party to the to the Rome statute. And so the ICC tweeted about it and said, welcome to the family. Um, so framing, framing things again through diplomatic means. And then there was about a, a, a big portion of tweets, 17% that I categorize as public opinion tweets. And those were aimed at educating a non-legal audience about the, how the court works, the, the mandate and interior workings. And so these are very, you know, uh, intro to ICC level tweets. Uh, so infographics about what the court does, what are the different crimes. Uh, here's a video of the stenographer. Um, here's how you can visit the court in person on one of the open days. Um, so very uh, trying to be accessible to a non-legal audience. Um, and so so I, I brought up the, the the comparison with the ICG at the beginning just to show that the ICC was was, was being very creative. Um, and very open and very uh, public facing uh, with their tweets in a way that, that a lot of other courts do not uh, do. Thank you for sharing with us some of the interesting categories. I think each of the categories has a story in itself. And I find this categorization quite helpful, perhaps for future research. But for the sake of the length of this episode, I'd like to focus on one specific category namely public opinion. We're quite aware that the use of digital technologies has transformed traditional practices of diplomacy and specifically of public diplomacy. We also know that in case of states, digital means are used to shape public opinion. Do you think something similar is happening in the case of IOs? I'm asking you this because as you just mentioned, 17%, which is quite a considerable amount of tweets were in the category of public opinion. Why do you think it matters what the public thinks of the ICC in this context? That is a great question. And I would love to talk to, you know, one of the limitations of my study is I was just looking at the tweets. I wasn't interviewing anyone. And I, so I think that a future project would, would really benefit by, by, you know, being able to be in the room with the, the public affairs people at the ICC and see how things are done. Um, but to answer your question, why do why do why does it matter what the public thinks? I, I think there's two ways to answer that. The first way to, would be to say it doesn't. It doesn't matter what your grandma thinks about the ICC because your grandma is not the the main concerned audience for the international court. The international court is going to do its international criminal trials regardless of whether your grandma thinks it's a good idea or not. Um, on the other hand. Um, I think that the ICC is operating, this is just a hypothesis, it's not borne out by my research, um, but uh, is a hunch. Uh, but I think the ICC really relies uh, relies upon this idea of, of civil society support and lay people support as a way of generating its legitimacy. So if you look at how the Rome Statute, which is the the treaty that that created the ICC in the 90s, when you look at its um, its history, uh, civil society was a huge part of it of of getting the document to be created in the first place and to be ratified by so many states. 
and you have uh, you know, different civil society groups doing active lobbying and saying, you know, sending out these email chains and saying, email your government and tell them to ratify this and we need to organize and we need to do this. And so for the ICC, I think there is this perception that um, generating as much support as possible is really important, especially given all of the challenges, you know, and the threats to legitimacy the ICC has been facing in the last few years from, from, from all sides. Um, so I th that 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 is a hunch that's not in the article, um, but that is my my own personal uh, soapbox. No, absolutely. I mean, our aim here is also to go a bit beyond the article and just kind of have a chat about uh, why uh, the ICC might use uh, Twitter the way it does. But of course, your article looks more at what it does rather than why or how. And I suppose those are the future avenues uh, for research as well. Um, so you were briefly touching upon audiences um, as well. And I know you talk about them in a section of your paper. Could you quickly tell our audience uh, who the audiences uh, of the ICC's uh, Twitter are or social media in general are and how does the ICC engage with them? Yeah, good question. And I think that's that's a crucial part. And this is another area for further research of, of, of who is who is really reading these tweets, who cares? Does it affect anything? I'm, I'm not I, I also am not sure how influential these tweets are. But broadly, in my paper, I kind of divide um, divide the audiences into a few groups. So you have the obvious audience, which are other diplomats or international organization staff or states. And so I mentioned uh, diplomatic handshaking photos, that's a, that's an obvious audience. You're trying to show to other states, trying to present an image of of unity and of, you know, if this one state supports us, other states should support us. We are very likable, um, this that that level of audience. Uh, there's also, you know, a, a very professionalized um, core of people who work in international criminal law or, or NGOs related to international justice who follow the ICC and use the ICC for updates uh, to know how things are going. Um, you know, and also because of the ICC's very visible status as the international criminal court, there's also this uh, audience of, of domestic lawyers working in criminal laws in criminal law in in domestic contexts as well um, that that look to the ICC for norm setting or or, or best practice. And then there's also like, I, you know, I talked about with you know, my grandma, there are lay people who have very little understanding of of the court or international law. Um, and so there's this educational mission that the ICC does uh, through 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 its digital diplomacy. Um, the a, a very interesting thing and thing I, I'm very curious about for 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 additional research is, you know, on Twitter there is like I said there is the text or there is the tweet. There are also responses to the tweet, um, and. Often in basically every ICC tweet, you often have people, lay people, responding to to tweets, um, and saying all kinds of things in the responses. And often that it can be, you know, a very like gory picture from a conflict and saying, "Please, ICC, do something in in such and such conflict." Um, it can be conspiracy theories. Uh, so you know, Angela Merkel is a genocide, you know, committed genocide against. 
people or, or white genocide is happening in, in such a place. ICC, you need to do something about it. You know, very crazy kind of uh, stuff. Um, and and everything in between, you know, people who actually kind of are, are making a, a realistic appeal to the ICC of something the ICC can do that's in the ICC's wheelhouse. And then, you know, very wild um, things as well. The ICC does not interact with these responses. Um, the ICC kind of lets them go. The IC, yeah, and that's, that is a, a choice as well to, you know, the ICC could turn off responses. Uh, the ICC just kind of leaves them open. And so often when I was looking through all these tweets, you scroll down and then there's these you know, very kind of violent images, uh, which is disconcerting. Um, that said, so the ICC does not interact with its lay audience, it does interact, like I mentioned, with, uh, with its more diplomatic lawyer, lawyerly NGO audiences through the use of retweets. And so that is the main sen uh, way that the ICC communicates. The ICC will never, you know, go to the Twitter account for the UK and respond and say, hey, how's it going? They're never going to do that, but they will retweet the UK uh, when the UK talks about the ICC and says something nice about the ICC or the mission of the ICC defined very broadly. Um, David, you uh, in your content analysis, um, you discuss a few key narratives that you come across uh, in the ICC's tweets. Could you tell our audience a bit more about that and um, with maybe certain campaigns that the ICC conducted uh, so we get a better and more in-depth understanding of these narratives? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I found, you know, I had these 11 categories or codes that I did. And then I also found these three main overarching narratives. And I use that the narratives as just kind of a way in the article to talk about these broad patterns that I was seeing. Um, so the first of that, the first of those is is this idea of unity. And I've, I've mentioned that a few times already in the interview uh, from, you know, the diplomatic handshaking or the retweeting during UN Security Council debates. Um, it's a way for the ICC to project this image that the ICC is at the head of this global effort for justice um, and that this effort is unified and it it's comes with a, a normative unity that is is not true. <laughs> the, the ICC is a very contested and a lot of the things that the ICC um, is trying to push for of justice and accountability are very contested by a lot of major actors in the in the world. Um, but if you just look at their Twitter, that's not the the diplomatic messaging that's coming across. This messaging is coming. The ICC is is unified with its partners. Um, the all the handshaking shows that this nebulous kind of idea of 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 cooperation and openness is is there and present in an active effort that the ICC is engaged in. The second narrative I identified was this idea about justice and um, this, you know, the this especially is is where I, I, I think that the the analysis part focusing on Twitter is really important because Twitter has a very limited number of characters you can use in a tweet. Um, and so it prioritizes very simplified ideas. And what I found is when the ICC talks about justice in their tweets, um, it is a very broad and very universal and very vague meaning of justice. And so justice in these tweets can be presented in many different ways. Um, and that is fine from a, a diplomatic normative norm setting kind of uh, perspective, but from a legal criminal law perspective, 
the ICC has very has a very narrow mission and it has very tight constraints on what it can and can't do, um, both both legally and also just financially using the budget it has. It, it focuses only on certain situations. It only has jurisdiction over certain countries um, and certain events. But you wouldn't know that looking at the tweets about justice. Um, and so, for example, I, I frame the article at the beginning using this this campaign that they talk about, this hashtag journey to justice. And so this was a year-long campaign that the ICC uh, did where they invited people to film a short video about what justice means to them. And then the ICC would tweet it out without really any context about who this person is um, with the messaging that the ICC is at this head of this global effort for justice, the justice, everyone has a story about injustice or feelings about justice and so everyone should support the icc because everyone loves justice um and that that's that's you know very diplomatic political politicized language and the the example i opened the article with is is someone submitted a video of, of them as uh, this man submitting a video of them talking about his efforts to um be have a legally have a have a recognized marriage because he was in a gay same-sex partnership and he wanted that to be uh recognized by his state and so he went through the entire legal process and in the end he was able to get married to his husband um and so obviously for some for him this was a meaning of justice for the international criminal court uh that is completely outside the the jurisdiction of the icc and will never be part of the jurisdiction of the icc because icc is focused on international crimes and and the right to get married in a domestic context is is not an international crime um so you have this very broad use of of the word justice this word used justice to kind of position the icc as a good actor fighting evil um very simplified diplomatic language. The third category, just quickly, um, the third narrative that I found was this idea of accessibility. Um, and this comes back to all of the tweets showing different court actors um, engaged in different activities from giving speeches to meeting people to be attending events. And so you're invited through the tweets to uh, accompany the court actors to meet with victims or to to go to the UN to look, you know, I include one picture where the camera is literally looking over the prosecutor's shoulder. And so it's like you're there with her um, at the ICC attending these events. Um, and that's a much easier way to frame um, the work of the ICC than explaining these complex legal cases that take years. Um, and especially because often the ICC's cases um, don't end the way that we want them to end. Sometimes people get acquitted um, and that is good because that is the goal of of the international criminal court is to provide fair and balanced cases that prioritize the the rights of the defendants um to have a fair trial but uh it's hard to sell that on social media especially when you're using this kind of framing of justice um that has this very broad meaning meaning that kind of excludes some of the nuances of of criminal law um and so that's where this accessibility comes in is is showing uh, the uh, the court actors in their diplomatic norm-setting roles is a really powerful message that the court is sending through its social media. So thank you, David, for summing up and very clearly explaining the key narratives um, to our audience. Moving forward, um, I 
wanted to ask you, what are the key takeaways and avenues for future research? Um, and in terms of key takeaways, I mean, conclusions that you came to after digging into this topic during uh, the pandemic. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and you know, I, I, I hope that this article, like I said, it's, it was a, it was a, it was a response to a certain point in, in time of this pandemic. Um, and it was really uh, just kind of born out of my curiosity. Um, and so I guess a key takeaway is if you're very curious about something, you should, you should pursue it and maybe it'll turn into an article um, and a podcast. Um, I think for, for the actual content of the article, you know, responding to the digital diplomacy literature, I, I, I'm really trying to, to, to point out that digital diplomacy is not just for, for, uh, restricted to states. Um, and and I think that I'm not the only one who's making that argument. There have been some 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 recent work that's kind of pointed out. Hey, a lot of this digital diplomacy art work is focused on states, and so if you do want to write about digital diplomacy, um, it might be interesting to look at courts or rebel groups or NGOs, you know, non-state actors, um, and see what they're doing and 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 what is what is the diplomacy doing in context. So in, in this specific context, here's a court. What does it mean for a court to do diplomacy or what does it mean for a, a different international organization or rebel group to do digital diplomacy um what are some of the expectations we have and and what you know think about where your expectation is and then uh does this this kind of meet what i'm expecting and, and what, if so if if not why not you know, that's that's a very interesting way to kind of frame a, 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 an article um more broadly going to this the the, the court specifically um, you you have this challenge of imposing universal norms about humanity and justice on a world that does not agree with them, and so understanding, I think the 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 health the, the helpful part of this article when talking about the ICC is realizing um, the political nature of law, and I and and I'm not the first one to talk about this, um, but ultimately. Uh, any kind of use of law is political, even if we try to think it's not. The ICC is a very um, explicit, you know, about their use of, of of political, politicized language when talking about law. But other courts, other legal institutions, do the same thing. It's making choices about about um, how to how to allocate resources in a way uh, that 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 kind of fulfills a mission. Um, I did mention you know, here and also in the article, you know, there were methodological limits. So I, I would love to have interviews or observations to understand the thought process or strategy behind you know, the, the social media strategy of the ICC or, or of other courts. Um, and, and, and similarly, uh, is this effective? I think a different study would be really interesting uh, if, it, if it contacted some of these people who are, who are retweeting or no, sorry, who are responding to tweets with uh, images or conspiracy theories or other things, seeing how they are taking things, seeing if public support has changed at all. If if there is a, a difference, if you support the ICC, if you follow the ICC on Twitter, or if you don't follow the ICC on Twitter, do your perspectives on unity or justice or accessibility or the court in general are have are they affected by the the, the ICC's work? Um, 
and that would that would be really interesting also for i'm sure for the icc staff who are, who are tweeting to know if their if their work is really making a difference or not um, so I think that there's a lot of interesting questions that can can go move forward from this. Um, and I, if you are interested in talking more, I'd love to talk more or read what you're working on on this. If you if you keep working on, um, if, if whoever you're listening, if whoever's listening, if you end up working on on the ICC and digital diplomacy, uh, please reach out. Perfect. I also find it interesting that it's quite possible that a lot of the replies to the tweets could be bots as well, Um, knowing how there have been, yeah, states that have uh, sponsored or pushed for bots to shape public opinion during democratic elections, um, wouldn't be surprised that state parties do do not agree with the, the Rome statute or that are opposed to the existence of the ICC. could have some hackers sitting in a basement uh, making some bots to take away the the legitimacy and the credibility of the institution itself. Um, that, that's a really good point. I actually, I never thought about that. That's a really great point because it is true that you have states doing, you know, very explicit, you know, you, the, the Russia on Twitter saying things, but it's true that, that you also have states uh, doing kind of more nefarious things. And uh, it's part of how social media is and how digital diplomacy is in the 21st century. You're not exactly sure who is saying what uh, all the time. Great point. In today's episode, we discussed what digital diplomacy is. We focused on one specific case that is the International Criminal Court and looked at the various types of tweets by the court and what categories they fit into the three different narratives, namely unity, justice, and accessibility that emerged from the tweets studied and touched upon the audiences of the ICC's Twitter with our special guest, David Eichert. What I personally found interesting was that digital serves as a tool and as an end to shaping and reshaping public opinion whether be it by state or by non-state entities. To leave you with some food for thought, when social media is used by those with the right intentions and motives, it can educate the masses, gather support, and lead to all sorts of positive change. However, as we are aware with digital technologies, there comes the issue of dual use. Therefore, Perhaps now is the time to think of strategies or methods to combat this darker side of digital diplomacy. Thank you for listening. If you're left with more questions than answers or just want to say hello, please reach out to us at podcasthjd at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We hope You have a lovely start to 2023 and tune in to our next episode. Thank you.